0: Good morning, and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming. And it is our hope that every time we come on the air with this broadcast, podcast, that we are empowering you, our listeners, to knowing and being and impacting the world around you. And, as always, you're welcome to join us on this Illuminating Journey. Um, So, you can follow me on my social media, uh, Lorenzo T. Neal on Twitter um, uh, and Facebook. Um, Where else? Um, And... Email Pastor Lorenzo Neal at gmail dot com. Visit my website, Pastor Lorenzo, I mean <laughs> Lorenzo T Neal dot com, and you see the articles in there, and you can purchase a copy of the book, "A Preaching the Family." We have some other manuscripts that we're working on, and we hope to have those available soon. We're getting uh, a lot going, and we thank you for your support and all that we do. We have a lot that we're trying to get accomplished, and so with your support, you can also. Support us in many ways, uh, various ways on Patreon. You can go there and support us. Um, and uh, however you choose to support us be via PayPal, um, the site will uh, allow you to do that. So thank you for your support and uh, this broadcast. Uh, so today, um, it's <laughs> I got a, a lot of stuff that I want to talk about. Um, it seems I, I've not been able to really do the show and so um I'm, we're trying a different format this this format is um it's not live it's recorded and, you know but we're hoping that it will be a better format we'll see what we can do but anyway you're always free to leave your comments uh on our Facebook page zero network and uh uh all comments are available we appreciate it so um There's been a lot of headlines going on, a lot of stuff to talk about, and I'm going to try to address it as much as I can, but um, three things I think I really want to talk about. They're stories that um, I think kind of tie in together. Um, There's a black pastor in Alabama who is calling for blacks to get out of white churches. There is the growing... (laughs) uh, Cases uh, incidents of people, uh, blacks having police called on them for moving in the apartments, living in a dorm room, being students, you know, and all of that stuff. And um, there is also, um, what else? Oh, uh, Carlton Pearson, of course. Plenty of stuff on Carlton Pearson that we can talk about. <laughs> uh uh with his movie and I didn't write about that, but um I, I will touch on it. And uh Pastor Dwight McKissick has a book out that I think everyone should get. Um Pastor Dwight McKissick out of Concord uh church in Dallas, Texas has a book called Controversial Conversations and um we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, If you have not purchased a copy, I encourage you to get a copy of it. You can get it, of course, on Amazon and Kindle and uh, other major outlets. But we're going to talk about that and um, how he's addressing the concerns of the Southern Baptist Convention of which he is affiliated and I was once formally affiliated with. And there are a lot of other things that we could probably talk about. But um, those are just a few things that we're going to explore and talk about on today. So let's get started. Let's get right into it. Um, first topic of the day. Uh, a black pastor in Birmingham, Alabama is calling for um, black people to leave white churches. Matter of fact he put his on put it on his I'm trying to pull it up. <coughs> Excuse me. And I i saw this story on the old black church blog site with Amy Brock. Um uh, so you can go there, the old black church and I think it's also maybe on several other other places uh places on the web. But you can I this is where I got this, this story from. Um uh the pastor of the new era baptist church put on his sign black folks need to stay out of white churches and some saying some are saying that this is a um more political thing um, and it's because of uh the church that's a mega church there in the city of birmingham uh i think it's called the highlands church i could be mistaken but I think it's the highest church And the, the controversy Is that there is this White or uh, predominantly white Or multi-ethnic um, Church that is Intentionally planting A church uh, A mission church In a black Neighborhood or urban neighborhood And this pastor believes That um they are doing more of a disservice than a service to the community by planning that church. And um now I am all for church plan. I was I have served as a church planner in my previous life. <laughs> um, I so I, I know the heart of those who do so and I know a lot of churches are planting churches in urban communities. And I can see, I I can see, you know, their 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 heart for mission. Um, And I can also understand this pastor's perspective, you know, uh, that from a lot of uh, urban church pastor perspective, that um, black people are joining. Not only are they leaving the church, a lot of them are leaving the church, but there are some who are joining multi-ethnic, multicultural, or predominantly white churches, and there are several reasons why they could be doing that. I think this is just my opinion, you know, I think a lot of them are doing so because of the uh ministries, I guess you can say, and and the the various activities that they promote and they have available for uh those families. Um and and it's it's honest God truth that uh larger churches, mega churches have more resources. And you know, you have and when you have more resources you can provide more services. And and when you provide more services, you can do more outreach. Well, not necessarily do more outreach, but uh, when you provide more services, you're more likely to draw from those who are uh, looking to benefit from those services. And while a lot of churches uh, have clothing, pant- clothing um, ministries, food ministry, uh, food pantry, meeting, feeding ministries, and all of that that's just part of it you know the prison ministry that, that's just part uh and in urban communities what people are looking for is a way of escape a, a way out of what they're they're used to what they're conditioned in or what they've been conditioned in they they, they look for a way of escaping uh multi ethnic churches and mega churches not all mega churches are multi-ethnic and not all uh, multi-ethnic churches are mega churches Um, but it gives them a a way of it gives them some sense of escape and it gives those persons those churches planting in communities of color uh urban communities and all of that it gives them a sense (laughs) of, of pride I guess I'm not say pride but a sense of service and duty that they're carrying out their duty they're doing something and both are both have their place but unfortunately we know that there is a disconnect in the black church community because historically the black church all you had to do was come that was it you come, you get preached to, you go to Sunday school, you learn, and you go home and you really don't do anything after that. And there was you know there are a few uh, historically that did more, both as you know as a local church or as a denominational entity, a denomination about them there are a lot that that did more particularly at the Amy church and I'm biased because I'm in the Amy church, but historically that was our you know, we've always been that type of um uh, church, that type of agency, community. It's always been that. A social active, social action, socially engaged uh denomination. But 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 largely the only thing you were expected to do as a church member, traditionally in the black church, was just come. That's it. And, you know, you may volunteer in the choir. You may volunteer on the usher board. You may serve as a deacon. You may serve as a a teacher. You may serve in various capacities. And if they had external ministries, you could serve in that. But basically, the only thing you expected to do was come, show up, and go home. And basically, you know, that was it. That was that that was the absolute bare minimum required. But in these churches today, more contemporary churches, particularly those who are that are multi ethnic and mega churches, and I'm I'm making an inclusive argument here now, that they are both. They are they are more than five hundred, more than a thousand people, and they are uh, multi-ethnic, they black, white, Asian, Hispanic, all in together. You know, and there, that's there's a lot of them. Um, they tend to understand the balance that is necessary for ministry. So, they, you know, when you join that type of church, they automatically they have the expectation that you're going to get involved in some capacity. You know, we're going to provide some type of service for you to be engaged so that you're just not a number, you're just not a member. They're, they're going to find somewhere for you to fit. Even if it's, you know, hey, what small group would you like to be a part of? What, you know, we have uh, a, a greater way of small groups. We call it classes in, in Methodism, but we have small groups, you know. You could be... Oh, Oh, you're married? Well, you can be a part of the married couples ministry. You can be, you're single, you can be a part of the single men. You like mi- fitness? Well, you can be a part of the fitness. You like yoga or Pilates. Or, you know, they have a variety of things um, that, that you can participate in. And a lot of churches, black churches, don't have that. There are very few that have enough to engage their members outside of regular Sunday morning worship. Or Wednesday in the evening Bible study. Or midday midweek service. And so what you end up having is. A lot of people who are just dis- feel disenfranchised from their church. And you have a church that sees that void. And wants to come in and fill it. And they just happen to be non-people of color. They just happen to be from a church that is a mega church in probably i'm not sure the case of the highlands uh i think that's just predominantly white but uh they 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 see that there's a need and they come in to fulfill it we have one here we have several here in the jackson metro area that are uh that have done that i there's this church that's located outside in one of the suburbs of jackson and I, i guess it's a mega church i I can't really say. I've never. I've only been once, and that was for a particular event. I've never gone to a service, but they have literally. They, <laughs> when they when I talk about occupying space, they have planted small uh, mission groups in the community that I serve, and I, I happened to come across one, and I didn't realize. I did I had no idea that this was a church plant. Uh, this was a, uh, a group, a cell group that met regularly. And that particular cell group was basically uh, <laughs> had many, as many persons attending as I have attending on a Sunday morning. And, you know, I'm like, wow. And so it is becoming a church plant in and of itself even though it just started as, it started out as, as, as a cell group. But, you know, through their evangelism efforts or discipleship efforts or, or whatever it may be, that group has grown tremendously to become almost a self-supporting ministry. I'm not sure if it is. It may be. I, I could be mistaken. But, you know, it it's providing that type of escape it's providing that type of uh, connection that many of the local black churches have relinquished or no longer uh you know they they've given that up and so they're coming in and fully filling this void now i could also understand from you know the pastor's perspective there was a time here in the south And in many cases still is uh, that they didn't even want us in their churches we had an incident here in Mississippi not long ago where a black couple was attending a small Baptist church in rural town here in Mississippi and the people were welcoming and they were loving on them until the couple decided that they wanted to get married in the church they wanted their wedding at the church and those folk literally <laughs> went hand i mean they they said well you can visit but we don't want you to have your wedding here we don't really want you to join We we like you visiting we can help you and they were literally about to um Matter of fact, I think they did dismiss their pastor because the pastor officiated the wedding anyway. Uh, you know, they did not. They didn't mind the couple coming, but when the couple wanted to be a part of that community, that church community, <laughs> you know, they were like, "No, that's too much. We, we don't, we don't really want you here." There was also occasion of of a church that. Uh, Supported missions in uh, Nigeria. And they were supporting students. Particularly in the ministry. Over there. That were going to a a seminary. And the students were benefiting from their. uh, You know their gifts of missions. And benevolence. And so. When the students. Decided that they wanted to actually Go to the church to show them Support you know Show show them how grateful they wanted to go And tell the pastor and the congregation And allow the pastor and the congregation To see what Their money how their money And their their gifts of benevolence Towards them and missions towards them Was you know helping them And so they they Went to the church and uh, Spoke with One of the deacons and the deacon so proudly was glad that they came. Say, we you're so glad that you came. And they were like, well, we want to, you know, we want to go in and worship, and we want to share with the congregation. And by that time, the, some other deacons had come out. And now, mind you, I'm telling this secondhand. I was, I can verify this. This is a secondhand story, a thirdhand. <laughs> um, but anyway, they denied the, the students. The Nigerian students entry into the sanctuary, into a worship experience, because they were uncomfortable. They didn't mind sending support, but they were uncomfortable having them integrated even as visitors into their worship service. And, you know, (laughs) so so that there is that history. And the other thing I think about it is regarding this is, is that. Um, within the last 30 years or so, I, I, I'd say within the last 25 to 30 years, uh, as the charismatic renewal or the Word of Faith movement began to blossom and begin in the bud. You had uh, the Azusa Conference movement with Carlton Pearson, and you know, I'll talk about that a bit later. But you, you had churches that were led by white pastors. Alright, led by white pastors and you look in the choir and the choir is full of, you know, blacks, the musicians are black and the worship experience is it's like a a black Pentecostal uh worship experience. And we never we never as black churches and we never called called it um what uh, cultural appropriation? We never call it that. We never said it. And I would watch shows like uh, on Trinity Broadcasting, uh, TBN, uh, not TBN not Pat Robertson. I don't. I can't recall Pat Robertson ever doing this. But TBN, um, um, that's the one in Dallas. I can't think of Daystar. Yeah, those those big ministries, those mega ministries television ministries, basically uh, utilized blacks to bring their ratings up. And, in a, you know, they, they, they incorporated the talents and gifts of black singers, black musicians, and black preachers, you know, to to basically garner that, that audience. And it wasn't fully reciprocated, in my opinion, you know, but but that, that that happened. They literally appropriated they, they appropriated the black uh, church tradition for themselves. And because they appropriated it, it it was it became like, hey, you know, you know, we 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 this. But at the same time, if you would go to that church and you look at the leadership of that church, you will find there were few to none blacks. As part of the leadership, the pastoral leadership of that church, and that's this—you know—that again, they could use our talents, they could use our music, they could use our, they could appropriate our worship, practice. and yet still have us, you know, not fully integrated into the life or the uh, ministry of the church. And so, but I understand, you know, when he's this preacher is saying blacks out of get out of white churches and come back to black churches. Because, again, we talk about cultural appropriation. That is exactly what is happening. A lot of the churches are appropriating. A lot of these churches are appropriating the black worship experience so that they can better minister i suppose you know probably that's the uh, that's just the easier way to say it minister to those within that culture so that those who are in that culture don't feel out of touch so you have a mega church for example like um one a non-black mega church like, World Harvest Church in Columbus, Ohio, where I partially, and I'm just calling him out because, uh, you know, that's the first thing that came to my mind. And I had the opportunity to visit his church on several occasions. Uh, <laughs> but you, you, you know, you you go there and you don't feel out of space. You don't feel out of pocket because the worshiper feels like what you think a traditional black worship service would feel like. Whereas... Um, you come to um, maybe maybe um, uh, First Baptist <laughs> in nowhere Mississippi, and you won't find that. But you know they they probably won't <laughs> be as as welcoming. <laughs> that I edit that out. Um, but I, the pastor does make a point um, as blacks. Become more integrated into um, white culture, and Dr. King spoke on this. And he, you know, he had he he spoke to the fact that he, he he feared that integration wasn't the best thing, but at the time was a necessary thing. And we see in in our own my lifetime, I've seen how integration really in some cases has not been the best thing, but it has been, it has been, <laughs> let me put it that way. We've seen the benefits and we've seen the negative effects of integration. And when it comes to the church, um, I think integration is a good thing, but at the same time we need to maintain our, you know, our, cultural, our cultural practices. I'm part of a group uh, here in the Jackson area that's uh, putting forth, this would be the second year we've done this conference called Embrace, which is a multi-ethnic conference. And it's intentional with bringing races together, ethnic groups together to worship, as well as to help understand, uh, particularly those who are interested in planning multi-ethnic churches. Uh, In in the area or around the country, you know, how to how to be intentional in doing that and being that I'm a part of a predominantly black denomination, mainline denomination, you know, that has not ever been the case per se. We have never been intentional on being (laughs) multi-ethnic. Now, we do have churches in India in Pakistan in Europe. Yeah, of course and in the African diaspora, you know, Caribbean and uh the continent of Africa, uh, here in the States. But we have never been intentionally multi ethnic in planting, you know. Just the name African Methodist Episcopal in our, you know, in our moniker says that we, you know, we was we basically wanted to identify ourselves with our um african ancestry that's what richard allen did because a lot of them were free but a lot of them at the time were slaves and giving them that that connection to their african diaspora was empowering uh and i I think by telling black folk come back to your church you know (laughs) it's twofold yes it will give them a sense of cultural identity because the black church or the church, in particular, has largely been uh, the epicenter of black life. You know, at one time, the only way you can get educated was in the black church. And we we started schools. <laughs> you know, the black church started schools. And the only way you can get a profession or trade was through the black church, and and um, and largely, the only way you felt you you could have a leadership role was in the black church. You can go to the black, you know, in black church, you could be a deacon and run the church and run the business meeting. You could be a pastor and, you know, be esteemed highly. You could be a teacher and be highly esteemed. We, we've we lost that. And, and in a sense, it is a good idea to say, come back and at least reacquaint yourself with this, uh, with the identity That The black church provides for us, you know, and do away with the dissonance that has come between the black church, the political life of the uh, people, the uh, economic movement and life of African-Americans, all of that. You know, the black church was at that time the, um, the means of getting there, all of that. That's no longer the case. And. Um, not calling back to segregation. I dare not ever imply that we need to go back to being segregated. <laughs> we don't need to, we need to break away from that 11 o'clock, seven, seven, 11 o'clock segregated hour on Sunday. We need to break away from that. We need to be more intentional and, in, uh, you know, in discipleship and what we do with our ministry. But I think there's a good point there's a good, you know, it is a good thing for us to reconnect for those who are out of the church to say that, you know, there is some connection we need to have with the church. And for those who are in already in, you no know, multi-ethnic churches, uh, you know, they're already they are already a part of that. Um, I, th- I think you stay. I don't see anything wrong with it. But I also understand that you know the 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 worship experience is different. You know, you um, the black church, particularly the back black Baptist church. What is unique is the long meter hymn, Doctor Watch hymn. I know I am a child of God, and whatever I, you know. <laughs> and in Methodism, black Methodism, it is. Uh, not the the long meter per se, but it's the lining of the hymn you know, that 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 we do, and it is the liturgy of worship, the order worship that we do, that is really refreshing and connecting, and um, and, and in the Pentecostal in the Black Pentecostal experience is the the shouting. <laughs> and i love to dance i tell you I'll, I'll dance in a second in, in church or outside the church you know, not get when the spirit moves you hey you gotta move I, the old folks say i wouldn't serve a god i couldn't feel sometime and in the black church tradition black preaching you know you got to have the hoop and not just to hoop, but you got to be able to tune. You know, if you can't hoop, you can tune. If you can't tune, you can sing. And if you can't sing, you better be able to do something <laughs> to connect with your black audience. And uh, I, I don't think it is that's a lost art, but I, I know that a lot of times you can't do that. And on the flip side, you know, we were talking about predominantly white churches or uh, particularly churches that are led by non-persons of color with a large integration of blacks and it there's that iteration of the black worship style to kind of cater. We have yet to really see we have yet to really see that reversed. We have yet to really see uh, predominantly black church with a lot of whites in it. You know. You have some. But that that's. You won't find that. Yes. T.D. Jakes is popular. And he probably has a large white following. Uh, but you won't find as many whites in this church. Uh, maybe. Uh, let me leave that alone. I could be very incorrect on that. But the thing about it is. Um, I think there is a, a lost connection. And I think that we do need to get back with the what this pastor said. I don't think we necessarily need to leave white churches, but I think we need to be better investors in our own churches in our urban communities. We cannot afford as black folk, especially as black churches, to have a building on every corner just like there's a liquor store or, or a beauty salon <laughs> in black neighborhoods. You know, we're deeply saturated with liquor stores, barbershops, beauty shops and churches. And yet our communities do not reflect uh, the type of the type of prosperity that should be embedded in them because of those businesses. We don't we won't we don't reflect that. And when you have a church uh, multi-ethnic Omega church come in and plant a church it does count it, it it can come across as like you, you know you stepping in our territory the reality is we're not maintaining our territory and we could be partnering with as, as bodies uh, of Christ you know particularly as black churches you know I think about my church within a mile radius there are 15 churches all black with just within a mile radius and if we were connected as we should be, if we were engaged with one another as we should be, if we were empowering politically, fiscally, as we should be, we wouldn't be needing outside support. We won't be needing, you know, we could, we have enough to do the type of ministry that these churches do or provide. You know, they're busting kids in to their church for activities i go to the gym at the local first baptist that's that's where i work out. It. why well uh, my church and many of the other churches around here just don't have the means to do it and i'm talking about you know they have a full-fledged facility uh, and there are a lot of churches that are building activity you know family life centers and stuff like that but they're closed off You know They're not opening them up To the community You know It's members only Kind of thing And and that's That's a whole different thing And But Anyway uh, It's a whole different thing I'm gonna take a quick break And We will Move into another topic Right after this Alright So Sorry about that delay Anyway I'm back. Welcome back to Zero Today. Um, So the next topic I want to move into real quickly. And I I don't know how much time I'm going to spend on this, but I didn't intend to spend as much time on the last one. So um, I want to talk about this, these, these um, uh, (laughs) just living while black incidences (laughs) where, you know, you have the incidents of uh, someone calling the police on a person uh, moving into his apartment. You have the incident of someone calling the police on two young men in Starbucks. You have the incident of someone calling the police on a student in Yale, a Yale student while she was sleeping in a commons area. And more recently, um, someone calling the police on a group of uh, blacks uh, for barbecuing in a park. And... (laughs) I, I I try not to take some of these things seriously because I I want to I want to say that you know these most of these incidents are done by people who are sincere in their concern and <laughs> and they 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 try to be they think that they're pro being proactive and not reactive and in many cases we we've seen when they are just reactive and i i I don't like throwing the word racist out there because i don't I don't want to say that they're racist I, but I do understand profiling and there's a different thing you know that's a different thing uh, i I know what it's like to be profiled as a black man I know what it's like to be followed around in a store <laughs> uh to be followed around in the store because you uh, particularly in one expensive store I went into uh I went there and, and with the intention to buy and I walked in and got strange looks and walked around and was never engaged by uh, one of the salespersons. But then a, a white white person, white couple walked in in particular. A white couple walked in and the moment they walked in, they were greeted. They were, <laughs> you know, met with, hi, and how can I help you? And the entire time I was followed around as if I was not supposed to be in there. And, of course, I end up purchasing something out of the store just to prove that I could purchase it and I could be in there. And, you know, I then I never went back to that that store. You know, I, I've had things purchased for me, gifted to me from that store. And, you know, I'm like, I, I shared the story one time with a person who gifted me uh, a suit from that store. And I said, well, I appreciate it, but I personally don't shop at that store anymore. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a gift. I'm not decur- declining the gift. But I just won't, you know, personally patronize that store. And and it, they respect it. And I wear the suit. You know, I respect for the person who gifted it to me. Not particularly from the store that it came from. I also know what it's like to <laughs> be profiled walking while black. Uh, I had the experience one time. I was... Uh, Walking in a neighborhood that was upscale. Um, family lived there, and we were just walking myself and my brother. Now, my brother <laughs> does not look anything like me. And um, it was just interesting. Uh, we were just kind of profiled. I don't think they called the police, but I could tell that they were very uncomfortable with our presence there. And it was a joke. You know, we took it as a joke. But it happens. Um, so I can understand, and I can empathize with those persons who are experiencing, uh, that, that those, those things, you know, having the police called is a very serious thing, you know, and I, w- I think we should only do it out of caution, you know. Uh, But if you see somebody moving boxes out of a house or you see somebody bringing luggage out of a house and you're not familiar. One incident where um, uh, there were people staying in a, black people staying in a Airbnb and the neighbor called the police simply because they did not speak to her. That was it. They did not speak to her. When she waved, they didn't acknowledge her, and so she automatically deemed them to be suspicious. And because she deemed them to be suspicious, that was all that was needed to call the police. And the police, instead of, you know, basically made it worse, in my opinion, from the account that I read, you know. Um, <laughs> and the same thing with the young student. The two students at Yale, one male, one female, Uh, both had this similar experience from the same woman um, just because she felt a sense of urgency that, you know... These black people, you know, one black man looking, you know he's walking and he's looking confused. So he automatically doesn't belong here. Let me call the police. Another black woman sleeping in in the commons area. I'm not sure if she's supposed to be here. She can't be in this building. She shouldn't be in this building, or at least should not be sleeping in this building. And even after police verified that she was a resident there and that she was a student there, you know. Um, it was just, I can understand, you know, <laughs> how, how she was, she could feel. Um, I, and, it, and it goes back to this, you know, this corporate cultural thing. Uh, in, in many cases, black folk, um, we have as bad rep because most of the imagery that many non-people of color get from us comes from media. It comes from their interactions with media, how they see us in music, how they see us on movies, how they see us, you know, if they think we're all good, they're going to reference us to somebody good like Denzel or Tyler Perry or Chris Rock, folk that they like. If they think they're bad, they're going to reference us to gangsters, you know, and I'm being very, very general in, in this because it's not all the same It's definitely not all the same But I think we have to do a better job With promoting the diversity of black folk You know, Black folk are wealthy <laughs> There's a lot of wealthy black folk Who are not actors Who are not rappers Who are not uh, athletes There are a lot of educated black folk <laughs> You know I, I could go down the line on that There are a lot of black folk who have accumulated, you know, and yeah, they are hood. There are a whole lot of hood black folk. And unfortunately, many of the times, uh, that's who, that's the idealized version. I I know, no, idealized is the wrong word. That's the, uh, that's the version that comes across. Even, and, and I let me let me be honest with you i do profiling on black folk myself (laughs) we do it black people do it on black folk we know the difference between a negro and a you know the other one (laughs) there 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 are times i have to catch myself when i see a black kid walking down the street with a hoodie on and you know pants tagging. Because the assumption is automatically that they are up to no good. Then I have to remember, oh, there's a basketball court right across the street. Then more than likely they're going to play basketball. You know, or when I see a group of black kids. Now, I try my best never to do this. But I I have had it happen where, you know, I see a group of young black men and sometimes I want to wonder, what are they up to? What, what trouble are they about to get into? Who are they about to rob? And it's sad that even I have to think like that. I've thought like that. And probably many of you have. Um, but it's sad that we, we've been conditioned to do so. We have to recondition ourselves and how we are, how we see ourselves and how our children see themselves and how they should present themselves in public you know and there's no guarantee that it won't happen there is absolutely no guarantee that it will not happen to them but the the chance and i really and this is even a stretch because uh even if you dress conformed you know if you if you are looking the part of uh uh in non-indigenous person <laughs> if you're looking the part that you are you're, you know you you fit in with the white folk You still might be profiled <laughs> it, it it it's sometimes just um sometimes it is just unpreventable but i think um uh, i i want to commend all those persons who were all those parties that were involved in these incidents for their uh, you know they didn't go off the cuff they didn't you know they didn't go off and you know they presented themselves as intelligent and well behaved, and um, that's a great. <laughs> I'm laughing because they shouldn't have to. They shouldn't have to, but they had to. Man, yeah, you know. I'm, I'm so, I'm running out of time. I'm gonna have to close this out. Um, but that, you know, it's a lot. That I wish I could have gotten into it. I really didn't have much time to get into. Um, um, and again, this is uh, using this format. I'm not really. Uh, I'm still kind of adap- adapting to how to, you know, playing with it, how to make it work, and uh, how to get long, to get long. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but this is just um, maybe as I go further, I- I'll be able to do it better. Uh, but until this time, I'm, I'm gonna cut it short, and I'm gonna go go and close this out and um but again I really appreciate your pr- uh, appreciate your engaging me indulging me in my discourse and I love to hear from you I love to get uh, uh, ideas and topics we could discuss and how we can how I can improve the the program and, and the broadcast and all of this I really want you and again I want to encourage you to go to my page com and purchase a copy of the book <laughs> you can do that and support um support uh the broadcast and all that we're doing here and everything else we really appreciate it we're trying to do as much as we can as best we can and um we want to be able to share with you on uh you know you share with us on how we can do a better job and we appreciate you your support is great and this sir. sir Thank you so much. I'm going to close this thing out and appreciate you for tuning in.